and welcome to CausePods. I'm your host, Matthew Passy. Here at CausePods, we have one simple mission, to highlight the amazing folks who are using podcasts as a way to raise awareness for good causes and make the world a better place, whether it's in their own local community or they're taking on global issues. Please visit us at causepods.org where you can learn about our guest show, their favorite charitable cause, join our Facebook group with resources for cause-based podcasters, and find a link where you yourself could be a guest here on CausePods. Again, that's all at causepods.org. All right, taking you up to the state of Connecticut, and we are chatting with Kira Deneen. She's the host and the creator of DNA Today, and this is a genetics podcast, and we're going to talk about why she's doing this, and she's actually been at it for a long time, so a lot of great lessons we can learn from her as a Fantastic podcaster. Kira, thank you so much for joining us on Call Spots today. Thank you for having me on, Matthew. You've got such a cool show in that you really like, you know, as you've said in other episodes, like it's, I feel like a lot of podcasters listen um, and that that's your kind of target audience and just cool that you're able to highlight shows that are, you know, hopefully making an impact in the world. Uh, we hope so. Every so often somebody sneaks in who I think is just doing it for selfish reasons, but for the most part, we really like folks who are having an impact in your world. So with DNA today, before we get into, you know, why you did it, going to the background, what is the impact in the world that DNA today is trying to get across? Because it's very technical in nature what you're doing. So probably needs a little bit of, you know, help for the audience as far as what is the cause that we're after today? Sure. Yeah. So I think with the, the podcast, I started it 10 years ago. So I was in high school when I started it. I now have my master's in genetics. So it's it's grown with me. And so really the purpose of it for me, selfishly, when I started, you know, so we're talking about for selfish reasons. So when I started it, it was really to learn more about careers in genetics and educate other people about that as I was learning about it so they could join me in that journey. And then as I got more into it, I really wanted to use it as a platform to educate people about genetics. So in a very general sense. So some of that is like patient advocates having them on and being able to highlight their perspective in terms of different disorders and, and educating people in their community about that, as well as the general population. And then just educating people within the genetics field. So if you're working as a healthcare provider in genetics, you're working in a lab, being able to keep you updated on the field, news, different technologies, ethical considerations, Obviously, genetics moves very fast. So it's something that we really want to keep people updated with, because once you graduate, if you're not keeping up with the field, you're really missing out on major advancements. So I would say th those are like the two reasons we do the show. But I have to say my, my favorite episodes are definitely the patient advocate interviews where I get to just chat with people about the disorder they have or their child has or someone in their family and be able to highlight that and, and give them a platform to share that. It's so interesting that you started this while you were in high school and that, you know, since you started, you've gone on to finish schooling and get your master's. Like, has the podcast, was it helpful or did it play any role in your education, in your master's program? Because I think that's a facet of podcasting that a lot of people don't think about that. This can really be an educational tool, not just for the audience, but even for the content creator themselves. Completely. I think it it held me responsible of, okay, I'm producing this show. I've got to keep episodes coming out and I'm learning while I'm prepping for the episodes, recording the episodes. And then I'm going to remember it more too, because I'm like, oh yeah, I did an episode about chromosomes. So now I'm going to remember about chromosomes. We get, you know, 23 
uh, from each parent and like, you know, just different different facets about that information. So I found it incredibly helpful in my education because even, you know, textbook learning in a classroom, like it's hard to say, okay, there's like, you know, I think like 7,000 rare diseases, right? I'm not gonna know all of them. I, I don't, I'm never going to. But as I'm learning them, instead of just reading in a textbook, like I'm talking to a person with that disorder or someone that cares for a person with that disorder. And so I'm gonna remember and be like, oh, someone with let's say Lynch syndrome. Oh, I interviewed Georgia Hurst about that. That's right, Her this person and her family had this cancer development and she had this surgery. And so I found it and I still do find it so helpful that I'm not just reading in a textbook, even when I was taking like my boards exam and just exams, you know, during my education, it was so much easier to be like, oh, this is on the page. I have to remember the disorder. Let me remember a person that has it. And I think that personalizes it so much and and helped me so much. And I want to say all the jobs that I've had and, you know, because I started this before I even started working, all the jobs I've had is because of this podcast and all of the clients I've had and everything. So it's it's not just been great for the community, but just even myself and learning in my own career. But like, did it come up at all in classrooms or with professors or like, were you able to get any credit towards the work that you were doing on the side or, or really integrate this? I mean, I know you use that knowledge personally, but like, were you able to integrate this actual content into anything you were doing as far as your schooling and education? Yeah. So the show when I was in high school, it actually started as an independent project. So that was instead of me taking like a class that was in place for it. And then as I was in undergrad, some of my professors would use episodes in terms of like a homework assignment and use it just for other people that were like, oh, someone reached out to them. I, I want to learn about genetic counseling. They're like, oh, check out this podcast. This girl Kira is doing this. And once I hit graduate school, my graduate school has actually been a sponsor of my show. So I think that's been really cool that I've been able to highlight, you know, my experience in their grad program and they have been financially um, supporting the show. So yeah, definitely very integrated and definitely allowed for a lot of opportunities for myself and the programs that I've been involved in as a student. And so I'm just curious why the focus on rare diseases in general, like, was there something in your life or, or something that happened personally that like drove you in this direction or just kind of where the education, where the research took you? Yeah, I would love to be able to say like, oh, I had this personal experience. And most people, if they're involved in the rare disease community, they have that and they have a story behind that. For me, it was more just learning about the community and how close people are in the community and the National Organizations for Rare Disorders is headquartered in Connecticut in the town next to my hometown. So that kind of just happened. And I was like, wait a minute, I pass I pass this Nord place on the way to my grandparents all the time. What is this? And so I, I kind of got involved in that way of, you know, starting their student newsletter and, and different um, projects with them. So I think just learning through connecting with people and just seeing how much more support the rare disease community needs. And also, I think in terms of the general population, how much we can learn from rare diseases when we see, okay, this disorder is really helping us understand something about the human body. So exceptions are very interesting in terms of studies. And so we can learn a lot about the human body and just general information by studying rare disorders. So I would give an example. There's a disorder that's like an aging disorder where people, you know, are, you know, 10, 12, but they look like they're like 40, 50. 
And so I would say that's like an example, progeria, I believe is the name of it. So looking at that disorder and studying that can give us a lot of information about human aging. So I think there's also this larger impact for you know humans in general, which was also just interesting to me too, just you know, I'm focused on genetics, but rare diseases just come up so much. And individually they're rare, but collectively they're common. So one in 10 Americans have a rare disorder. So I remember hearing that stat and just blew my mind. I was like, wait, 10% of people I meet are gonna have a rare disorder, that seems crazy. But I, I think people don't quite understand just how common it is to have a rare disorder. Well, and I take it by the nature of the disease being that rare that many people don't realize they have one, right? Because the symptoms can be, you know, very impactful on someone's day-to-day life. And for others, it's, you know, minor things that they don't realize is all part of this larger picture that somebody hasn't quite diagnosed for them. Exactly, exactly, Matthew. So when we're looking at it, a lot of disorders are vastly underdiagnosed, as you're saying, and a lot of people may have very general symptoms, so it becomes very hard to diagnose. Unless there's something very specific, um, it can be tough. Then again, genetic changing has rapidly changed um, in, in the last 10, 15 years. So now we're able to do testing such as whole exome or whole genome. Whole genome, we're looking at every single genetic letter in in your genome. So we have like all of our genetic information, that's our genome. And so by looking at and reading through every single letter, that would be the genome. And then looking at the exome, we're just looking at the genes that are active. Um, So a lot of genetic testing is, is shifting to this instead of just let's look at a couple genes. It's like, you know what, let's just skip that in a lot of cases. Let's head right towards the active genes. If we don't find something in there that's different, that can give us a diagnosis, let's look at all of all of the letters in our genome. So I think even just the genetic testing and technology and the accessibility of that has changed so much in terms of being able to diagnose. So I've, I've seen a shift just in the 10 years of the show. Interesting. So. You just said it. You've been doing the show for 10 years, which with when it comes to cause pods is a little bit more rare, right? Most, most of the folks who join us on the show, they've just been starting out. They've been doing it for a little while. They're, they're kind of still getting their feet under them. But having done this for 10 years, starting when you were in high school, you have seen the podcast landscape change, I'm sure, in those times. And you've probably learned a lot of things about podcasting and growing an audience and production that people could find really valuable. I, I just want to start with from when you started in high school to today, what have been some of the biggest changes to podcasting itself? And if you've had to adapt or if you've had to change the show dramatically because of any of those? So I think when I started podcasting, this was like 2011. When I said to people, oh yeah, I have a podcast. They were like, what is that, right? So we've seen that change. Basically, I'd say 2014 when Serial came out, that's when people knew what a podcast was. Serial changed the game in terms of podcasting being a household term. So I think I used to have to explain, oh, it's like an internet radio show. And now it's just like, I have a podcast. People are like, whoa, cool, what is it about? So like, you know, I think that has shifted, you know, for the past whatever, like, I guess that was like eight years ago now. But, you know, I think in terms of like just podcasting and how I've had to adapt, you know, something that I think, you know, we're both looking at is shifting to video podcasts. So for the longest time, I was like, no, I'm not a YouTuber. I don't do that. You know, I'm, I'm an audio podcaster. 
Um, that is, you know, I, I'm, I'm a purist, right? So then, you know, things have shifted a lot. YouTube has become much bigger. And so at the beginning of 2021, I believe, we've started recording pretty much all of our episodes as a video. So that has been a big shift. And I, I think YouTube is going to have a huge huge impact in podcasting in the next couple years, because I don't know if you saw Matthew, but YouTube hired a head of podcasting at YouTube. So I'm like, all right, that means there's things on the horizon at YouTube. So I think that's been a major shift. Most of our episodes are still consumed via just the audio. So through major podcasting apps like Google, Apple, Spotify, Overcast, you know, all of those. But yeah, I would say that's that's been a big shift and I think just with the pandemic, people are much more used to hopping on platforms to record like Zoom. We both use Riverside.fm. So I think people are also just, they're not like, oh, where do I have to travel for this podcast? People just get right away like, oh, we're just going to re record virtually for the most part. So I think that's some big changes that I've seen just in terms of people understanding podcasts and also just being um, guests on podcasts. That's just been a little bit, a little bit easier. I think there's less onboarding with guests than there used to be. So now the big question that everybody wants to know in podcasting, and I have to imagine with the success of your show, with the experience and with the opportunities that's provided for you, what is it that you've done or what is it that you have found to be the most successful way to grow your podcast, to increase its exposure and to increase audience? That is like the number one question, right? Of so, of yeah. And that's always something that I love asking podcasters too, because like I want to learn. It's like always something that you're continuously learning. I think for me, I've really focused on, and, and I recommend this for anyone that's starting a podcast or recently started, of really looking at what is your focus, right? So, some people that would look at my podcast say, you have a huge, like, you don't have a focus. It's genetics that's so big. And others say, you only talk about genetics. So, that's almost the answers you want. You want some people to say it's too big and some people to say it's too small. And you're like, ah, it's perfect then. So, I think it's, it's really choosing what your focus is. You know, obviously there's popular podcasts like The Daily, you know, that are just like news, right? But they've got a huge crew behind them and a ton of advertising, marketing, money, and budget. So I think for beginner podcasters, you wanna choose that topic and find your niche, find your target audience. So my target audience is people working in genetics. And then my, my backup one, you know, making my target a little bit bigger is looking at people that are affected by a genetic condition. So that those are my two areas. And then outside of that, it's just general population. People that are like genetics is cool. I'm not targeting those people necessarily, but they end up listening. So I think it's really important to look at that and, and have a focus for your show. If you just have like a general talk show, I don't think unless, you know, you're Jordan, Jordan Harbinger that has, you know, great, and he, he does have a focus of his show, but, you know, his is a little bit more general than I'd say like a typical podcast because he has so much clout. So if you're just kind of like an average Joe like me, then I think it's, it's important to have that focus and then building that community of seeing like, okay, where are your listeners right now? and start integrating yourself into those communities online. So for me, I'm also a genetic counselor. So that's what my career is, is genetic counseling. So I'm very active in my genetic counseling community. I go to the conferences. I'm very active on hashtag gene chat. And so in all of these like digital, you know, groups. 
So I think for me, it's like, okay, focus on that and also the rare diseases that I, I've talked about in those communities. So I think it's it's finding, all right, don't just put it out to the universe, find where your listeners are active and start becoming an active member within that so that you are engaging. And that's something that I'm actively working on too. I'm definitely not an expert at it. I'm always, always trying to do better with the engagement. So here's a question then, because I think what you're saying is is really good advice. It is, you know, something that we encourage everyone to do is to be well-focused, find your communities, talk to them there. But then, you know, sometimes you give people that advice and what happens is they join a bunch of Facebook groups or a Discord or a Slack channel, whatever, and they get in there and they think, great, I'm part of a group now. Here's my podcast. Here's my podcast. Here's my podcast. Here's my podcast. Right. And the next thing you know, they are now pariahs of that group or they've been booted from the group or they're not getting a response because nobody wants to engage with a walking, talking billboard. So how do you encourage a community that you've recently joined to check out your content without turning them off to you by being overly salesy? I think for the first, I don't know, maybe a month or something, don't even mention your show. Like just organically talk with people in these communities. And I would say the first time maybe you mention it after a month or so, you know, if someone has like a post like, hey, I'm looking for like, you know, relating to a previous episode you had about Roe being overturned with um, Ariel Nessenblatt, like, okay, if someone's posting about, wow, Roe is overturned, like, you know, anybody have any resources or places to donate? Then if I were you, Matthew, I'd say like, okay, I've been in this group about a month. Now in the comment, I'll say, yes, you know, I'm, I'm really, I'm appalled at this happening, even though we knew it was going to. So I produced an episode about this. And I also recommend people join Ariel's, you know, whole movement really of starting to put ads in front of your show, like you've been doing um, for, you know, awareness for how important abortions are, right? So I think doing things more organically and then after some comments like that, then you can post, you know, something in the group like, hey, I have a podcast about this, but I'd love ideas of like what you guys would want to hear on the show, right? So I find great engagement, like even when I am on Instagram and I have an interview coming up, I've been trying the last few months saying, okay, let me put in my story, hey, I'm interviewing this person. What do you guys want me to ask them? And then during the show, I'm like, hey, Ashlyn asked a really good question about this. You know, Matthew, if you're my guest, um, you know, really wants to know why you started Cause Pods. And so I think being able to integrate that and then reaching out to that listener and say, hey, did you uh, did you listen to the episode yet? Because I asked your question on it. So I think just going above and beyond and, and it doesn't take long to do these things, right? Especially if you're active on social. So, you know, those are things that have been recent goals of mine. And I've definitely found success with that. I've even had episodes where it's all listener questions. And I'm like, guys, you have so many questions. I don't even get to ask my own. <laughs> so, you know, I think that that can be really good and, and just really trying hard with the engagement because honestly, it doesn't, unless you're a major, huge podcast, it doesn't matter how many downloads you're getting. It really matters the engagement because that's, if you're looking at monetization and all that, like the sponsors want to see engagement. If you've got a thousand people that listen that don't care, whatever. If you've got a hundred listeners that if you recommend something, they're going to go out and buy it. That's way more valuable. I love what you're suggesting because one, it doesn't cost any money, right? It doesn't. Yeah, cost I'm like cheap. I'm like, let's not spend money. Let's spend time. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like it doesn't cost any money to reach out to the community, ask them to contribute questions, ask them for feedback. We have a client who does this on their show. They actually make it as part of one of their lower tier Patreon offerings, which is if you are a supporter of the show, you get to, you get to find out who the guest is ahead of time. You get to submit questions and then you read it. But the other thing that it does, and it works either as the Patreon model or just in your case, right, as you're doing that early 
community building, engagement building, it gives the audience ownership of the show, right? They feel it's like theirs too. Of, right. Yes. And that, and that I think is a really powerful way of turning your audience, not just into a listener, but into your advocates for your show. So I think that's really, really solid and good advice. Um, so what would you say now, you know, current landscape of podcasting, what would you say today, somebody just starting out, somebody thinking about this for their cause, what would be your like number one piece of advice? I'm going to, I'm going to couch this by saying other than just get started because that's always good advice, but we get that a lot. Right. Yeah. I mean, obviously you're doing that. So yeah, I think a, a good thing to do. So I also, I do some podcast consulting. I recently helped launch a nano rare disease podcast. And so as we were launching, I was like, all right, we really want to make a list of the people in your network that you can reach out to and say, Hey, we're launching this podcast. We really want to get five stars on Apple podcasts and now Spotify. You can also rate um, on Spotify. You can't review yet, but you can rate. And you need to listen to like 30 seconds of the show or something. So I know some people go to rate it and they're like, oh, I can't. It's like, just listen to a little bit of the show. Um, but I think make your list of your people. And, and that way, when you release your trailer, I would do that like a week before you release the first episode. And I recommend releasing three episodes on that first launch day. Um, that way you've got a lot of content to people to start listening to. I think it helps increase you in the charts and really getting a lot of ratings and review at, at the beginning. So I think starting like email marketing is really good. I say that as we're starting email marketing, which is kind of crazy. I've been kind of just doing old school, reaching out to people, you know, individually or, or whatever in, in group lists. But now, you know, we're starting to do email marketing. And, and I, I think it's just so important to come up with that list of people that are either could be future guests, like people that you're like, hey, I really need your help with this. And let us know if there's anything that we can promote on our podcast as a thank you. Um, so I think that's that's a good approach um, as, as people are, are launching. As part of everyone's appearance here on CauseBots, we always like to support and promote an organization that is important to them. Today, we're talking about the National Organization of Rare Disorders. It's at rarediseases.org. And as we were saying before the show, I'm pretty sure that we have talked about Nord in the past, but the connection is obvious. But just tell us in your words, like, why is Nord important to you and why are they the ones that you want to support today? Yeah, so Nord is really important to me because, as I said, so many people have rare diseases, um, one in 10 Americans. So they're really supporting so many people. And what's great about Nord is whenever a rare disease comes up for like even one of my patients or something, I know I can go right to rarediseases.org and then they will have some kind of content that I can use. They're kind of like the directory of rare diseases. So if I go in there, I can find probably an organization that's focused on that specific rare disorder or a group of disorders that includes that one. Um, so I find it just really helpful. It also has great patient information. So if you're a parent, caregiver, or yourself have just had a diagnosis, I think it's a great place to start learning and also just being able to know like where to go from there. So I think it's it's just such a great resource to learn and to network. I definitely like supporting them when I can. If you happen to be listening to this in February, randomly enough, February is Rare Disease Month. And the last day of February, 
is Rare Disease Day. I think that's a great thing that you can kind of, you know, support and promote rare diseases, raise awareness. It's kind of cool. The rarest day of the year, day, year, whatever. So when we have February 29th, that's Rare Disease Day. Most of the time ends up being February 28th. But that's kind of just a fun fact there. But yeah, Nord is is amazing. It's just such a great group of people that work there. And I just also want to thank them for all of their hard work. Amazing. So once again, it's rarediseases.org, or you can just Google uh, National Organization of Rare Disorders. Of course, we'll have a link to them as well as DNA Today and everything else in the show notes of this episode. So one more thing I want to touch on that I thought was super interesting and that I think would be a good place to leave cause potters out there was you mentioned that your school was a sponsor of your show. How did that come about? And, you know, not that everybody doing this is in school and, and could do that, but what lesson can somebody take from the relationship you built there and how they could potentially get that same kind of support from educational, business, nonprofit organization? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And and I think it's all about relationship building. So, you know, when I started, I, they were not a sponsor while I was in school. So I should mention that. So once I graduated, then I, you know, approached uh, the program leadership and was like, hey, you know, a lot of people listening to my show are prospective students. And I'd really like to send them your way at Sarah Lawrence and just ex- explain that, you know, I had a, a really great experience and um, everything that I've learned, the networking from Sarah Lawrence, it's the largest genetic counseling program. It's where genetic counseling was invented. There's just all this cool stuff about Sarah Lawrence College. And so it's something that I was like, hey, you're doing these webinars, um, like an open house webinar kind of thing. And so I'm like, why don't we do an advertisement? Because a lot of people listening are going to be interested and we'll use a promo code so we can keep track. So promo code for everything for DNA Today is DNA Today. So keep it easy, simple. And so I approached them with that. And the first time we did it, they had like over, I think, 100 people sign up from the podcast. So they were like, oh, this is fantastic. Let's keep doing this. Um, So I think even if you wanted to offer like, you know, a complimentary advertisement or something and say, hey, why don't we see how this goes? And and if you like this, then, you know, we could do a discount in the future or something and kind of keep that relationship going. I'm quite involved in terms of just being an alumni of the program. I try to attend those open houses, talk about my experience, answer student questions. So I think that's, you know, one thing. And and we've had over 35 sponsors of the show. So that's it's been a, a really cool aspect that now this has become a business for me. I never thought when I was in high school I would make money from this show, but it really is just an added bonus. So I think it's just really good to do relationship building and reach out to people that you've had great experiences with, a product that you really like, something that hopefully is related to your show. So for the most part, we just advertise things that are genetic related or like, okay, you're listening because you're interested in genetics. I want to provide you with this information about this certain product or service program. So I think that's a a good way to, to go about it. And, and definitely have a media kit. I think that's like, you got to have a media kit of just, you know, a PDF of information about you, the show, what your sponsorship packages are, how much you charge for an ad, things like that. And, and if people want to know, I'm happy to send my media kit to people that are listening. And of course, they can do that. They can find you at dnatoday.com, which you just mentioned. Uh, we'll have links to the show, to Nord, to all of your social profiles as well. And truthfully, I don't know if I could have given the advice that you just get said what you said any better in terms of building community, building relationships, and just sticking with it. It is an amazing thing that you have built here. And we are super happy to have been able to share with our audience. 
Kira Deneen, host and creator of DNA Today. Thanks for joining us on Cosmods. Thank you so much, Matthew. You got an awesome show. I can't wait to listen to more episodes. Thanks for listening to this episode of Cause Pods. If you've been inspired by the work of our guest, please check out the show notes to this episode in your podcasting app or at causepods.org. There you will find links to their show, their website, their podcast links on Apple, Google, Spotify, as well as a link to support the charity that they highlighted here in this episode. You will also find at causepods.org a way to subscribe to this show on your favorite podcasting app, how to sign up to be a guest on this show, and a link to our Facebook group, which is going to have special resources just for the folks who are podcasting for a good cause. And I can tell you right now, we've got one great deal from our friends at PodPage, but you're only going to learn about it and get that special deal if you are a member of the Facebook group for CausePods. And before I go, I should say thank you in particular. The show is edited and produced by Ben Kiloy of the Military Veteran Dads Podcast and what a great job he has done. And all this is made possible because of the great support that I receive from Shannon Rojas here at thepodcastconsultant.com. Once again, if you want to learn more, go to causepods.org. Thank you so much, and we will see you next time on CausePods. Pods.